The Brief Podcast. Brought to you by MEPRA and produced by the International Broadcast Specialist Marketers. Welcome to our sixth uh, edition of The Brief by MEPRA. I'm your host, John T. Summers. I'm delighted today to be joined by uh, Howard Kosky, who's CEO of the Marketeers Network, uh, the broadcast specialist who's going to be giving us some lowdown on all things broadcast and how they relate to PR. Howard, morning. Morning to you, John. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. And we've got a, we've got a great sunny morning in, in Dubai. Uh, I think when this podcast airs, it's going to be a little bit later on in the year, but we've, uh, we're just coming off we're just coming off our coolest winter in the last decade, I think, in the UAE. And you've, you've come out here to enjoy a little bit of late winter sun, I think. Indeed. It'll still, in be, it'll still be warmer <laughs> than what the UK would be at any time of year. Well, yeah, that's, that's certainly a given. I mean, how, just, could, perhaps we could just rewind. Just, just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, how, how, how marketeers started and, and kind of, you know, where, where you are today. Yeah, uh, well, the start was trained as an accountant, um, but not through to qualification. Um, always loved creativity, uh, had a number of different kind of part-time summer jobs. Um, but the, the entering into the broadcast PR world was uh, a very good friend of mine when I was growing up, uh, was a lad who went to work for a financial PR agency. Um, and these were in the days where back in the UK, there were 30-odd BBC stations, but only 40 commercial stations. And there was one called LBC, uh, which was the taxi driver's radio station of choice because it was speech-based on medium wave frequency. Um, and he was working for a financial PR agency. The then editor of LBC uh, decided there was an opportunity for a business, uh, broke away and sort of started to fund this specialist uh, broadcast PR firm uh, with this friend of mine. They asked me to join. Um, got involved with that. We built it to a team of about 30, 35 people after about three, four years. We worked on the British gas privatisation in the UK. And those were in the days where radio content was via syndicated tapes. Those, if you watch the James Bond films. You're you showing those, your age here. Yeah, you see those Revox machines of the reel-to-reel. And it was, you know, it was born out of editing, you know, in a very small office uh, in Farringdon. Um, built that agency for about three and a half, four years. Uh, myself and uh, the, the proprietor didn't quite see eye to eye on the vision for the future, and so Marketeers was born. It's curious how that happens, isn't it? And so, so fast forward to today, you know, t- what 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 does Marketeers look like around the globe? Uh, well, you know, very proud to say, 110 people, uh, the broadcast specialist. Um, fascinating to see, you know, the, the skill and the art is still news crafting, storytelling, uh, but through the lens of broadcast, whether that be um, traditional TV, radio, podcasts, uh, audio on demand, video on demand, live streaming, social video. Um, as long as it's broadcast as a channel and platform outlet, um, our role as an agency, I'm pleased to say, is working alongside brands, agencies, making sure we deliver you know impactful campaigns and strategies through broadcast media. I think there's probably a, a, a perhaps a perception and probably wrongly that you know what you guys are doing is is just you know supplying cameramen to to, to companies to, to help them film their stuff. Yeah I mean it's listen when you we started the business here five years ago um, we have a vision we know what we are we know what we want to do um, as broadcast specialists but at the same time the commercial was also play a part 
we noticed very early on that our urgency, our speed of edit, our ability to distribute content and land coverage of video um, could lead a market. Um, and so built a very strong reputation for that. Um, but then you become a victim of your own success. So very quickly, even though broadcast media relations is the heart and soul of what we do for the majority of our clients, certainly in, in market here, you know, you could see we were building a reputation but in the sphere of video production distribution. Um, but, you know, a lot of our role has been to educate media in local market also, try and demonstrate to the media owners what capabilities exist through technologies. Um, I mean, the, the first live stream we did in the region was three and a half years ago when the media owners, when we speak to them about video, video it, was a, we were, it was a videographer and we we're talking about taking a live stream through an iframe. So very proud of the fact that we've managed to shift some perception, um, but at the same time, you know, the, you know, the commercial dr- drive from client towards us is often, fortunately and unfortunately, you know, can you guys produce a piece of video and place the coverage, please? But, but the heart, I mean, the heart, when we were talking before, I mean, the, the heart of the work that you guys are doing is is based from a kind of news background and it's a storytelling background. And it's interesting, you made the point that I think the word you used when we were just chatting beforehand was kind of newscasting, talking about classic story formation. And it was interesting, we had Mina Al-Arabi, who's the editor-in-chief of The National on this podcast, and indeed at the Magellus uh, last week. And she was saying that, you know, just because there's that, there's that quote, the classic quote, that everybody is a publisher. But she said, of course, that's, that's not true. Every, you know, sorry, every, everybody, every, everybody is a journalist, but the reality is it's not true. Everybody is a publisher because not everybody treats content or stories with a storytelling mindset. And that's, that's definitely reflective of the approach you guys come from, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think you know, it's very, you know, the challenge is for the media to perhaps have standards where it wants to make sure that the stories it's covered, it covers are stories. Um, you know, working globally, it's fascinating to observe what would make coverage and land coverage in different markets. Um, the fact that, you know, you could argue that the story, you know, a nice shiny video shouldn't really be able to be worthy of coverage on its own in any market, but there is a necessity for it to have a news currency. So there is a constant reminder of people that, you know, the storytelling and the crafting of news why are we here what's the reason that this is important that people need to hear or see something in terms of media then then explain the proposition and then look at the outcome in terms of a behavioral shift of what you want people to think or do that beginning middle and end of news crafting for me is a core dna that should run through everything and how you know when when you uh, when you look at say let's let's bring it to, to to kind of Dubai Middle East you know how has just in the last five years broadcast PR evolved since you took the decision to set up an office here in Dubai? The acceleration of its development has been dramatic. I said the best example being I remember five and a half years ago being told by a major media owner their video capability was a videographer, and when I say a videographer at a very very basic level. And where there was no urgency. So the fact that an edit could take five days and they were still happy to publish that video, I found extraordinary. Because for me, news is about immediacy and there has to be a level of urgency. And in a world where, even if you're a broadcaster, where there is a 24-7 restriction in traditional feed, the social channels allow for very immediate news delivery. 
that can be video it can be tv through a mobile platform through you know through digital devices and smartphones so what i have noticed is the expectation of a media owner in terms of urgency has certainly improved they you know the understanding that this is news because of its date specific time reference point is absolute compared to perhaps five years ago where that was less so so i've definitely seen a maturing in the market i've also seen what i call the netflix netflix generation the spotify generation in the sense that you know netflix is convergence media you know i you know i've seen stats people saying oh tv consumption in region is down no, what, we, what we're witnessing globally is TV consumption through traditional channel is it's shifting. Down, yeah. But actually, our consumption of televisual is up. Because we can consume it on different devices, it's portable, it's on the move. It's just that the, the end user, the end audience, is, it has now has more choices of when and how. So consumption is up, it's just the traditional channels that are finding it challenging to compete in a modern and do you know if there's any? Do you know if there are any? Is there any data to show where people are actually consuming? Which which broadcasters they are actually consuming through, but on a different platform? Is there any? Do you know anything? For the local market, no. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've seen that a lot around the UK and the US. Um, we're trying to establish that. Uh, so yeah, it's not easy in the Gulf region. Um, because the data is not as readily available um, to us as it would be in other markets. But, you know, if I said you, you need, I look at the key broadcasters, I look at the key publishers, I look at the trends of where they're investing mm. and trust that they would not be investing in those markets if they did not believe there was a market for them. So if you look at Spotify and how Spotify are moving into the podcast arena, you know, yes, Apple and iTunes have dominated since 2005 the market, 700,000 podcasts, God knows how many hundreds of millions of episodes they claim to be available. But actually Spotify recently committed that 20% of its output will be non-music based or that its inventory will be non-music based. It's, you know, it's got a $500 million war chest. It's already spent 300 of that on two major acquisitions. So the fact that Spotify have also done a deal, I believe, with Samsung to be a default app on all its devices, recognising that the consumption of, of audio will be through a smartphone device is powerful. You need to look at, in the US, the fact that voice-based search is almost 50% of all podcasts now. So, you know, if you look at the way the technology is moving, you look at the, you know, to me, a major media owner isn't just a traditional broadcasters. You know, you have to look at Facebook, you have to look at Google, you have to look at Spotify, because these are organisations that that have data and very, very deep data about us and how we're consuming and want. And and that's where you follow. Podcasting is interesting. I mean, I know it's it's actually a pretty small part of what you do, although obviously you you do it, including including uh, including being our podcast partner for for us here at Metpra. But it's it's interesting that podcasting has been around for a while. And yet it's, it feels that over the last year or two, it's, you've, there's a momentum. It's kind of taken, over, the overnight success has taken 10 years. Yeah. To, I mean, to people, people ask me, why do you think that is? You yeah. know, it's radio on demand. My, my simplistic mind would turn around and say, well, the eyes are becoming burnt out. So if I said, you know, if you, and if you look at consumption habits, it's, if you look at what the power of radio is, it was, you know, back in the UK, many, many studies, the ironing ball media. You know, it's the fact that you can be doing other things, it's portable. You know, you concentrate and listen to it, but you don't have to sit and stare at it. And I think we've seen, a, we've seen a, you know, five, six years where video was boom. 
and you could argue there's too much video. And actually, you know, if you're on a commute and you're on your smartphone, the eyes do. The eyes have got a little bit burnt out. In other words, do, how much oh, your more actual vi- eyes have got? I, I we believe, look at too much stuff. I believe so. Whereas audio is 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 a bit more intimate. You know, if you look at consumption rates of podcasts, they're averaging at 24 minutes at the moment. So the thought that someone will happily li- and happily listen, select to listen, because you have to select to, to download to, to listen, to 24 minutes, it's almost 90% of listeners of podcasts listen to the very end. That, that tells you something. Whereas with video, how many people will sit on a smartphone and watch 24 minutes worth of video? You know, dwell time of video is minimal. And actually, if you th- and again, if you think about the style of podcasting, a lot of it's very quite conversational. Um, it's relaxed, it's easy. But the other thing to recognise is that people select to download to listen. So you've got an index listener. Anyone listening to this podcast is not a random bystander who's drifted through and just happened to stumble upon it. It's because they, the subject matter hopefully has resonated at a point of a headline and then so they're slightly interested and then we'll listen more. So the habit of the kind of way in which we listen to podcasts, the fact it's on a smartphone, is easy, it's accessible, it's portable, it's easy to find in a repository, makes, is one of the reasons why I believe podcasts are starting to become a little bit more in vogue. And how, how do you see the, the kind of adoption by organizations of podcasts because i guess one of the one of the challenges and particularly in this region you know a lot of a lot of clients like to 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 have quite tight and a lot of their agencies like to have quite tight control over what what is said in the public domain and obviously you know when you're having a fairly organic conversation like you and i are now you know there's it's 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 a much more relaxed air kind of style of conversation how do how do brands cope with this i think the 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 need for a bra i use the terms bravery and commitment um i think what is very important is if a brand recognizes they're becoming a publisher it doesn't mean you should publish what it is you want to say there is a hybrid position of course around your messaging and what you want to get across but very importantly understanding what the audience want to hear what is it that the audience are going to be actually interested in? Is it the same as what you want to say? You know, the fact that, you know, you, know that you have the ability to now self-publish, don't bastardise the opportunity because you're not going to get the engagement. You know, if you were to publish a magazine or a TV channel, you wouldn't suddenly sit down one day and say, right, let's just go into publishing. There is a thought process, there is an audit that needs to take place pre to establish, is there a market for this? Is there a market that does want to listen to what we want to talk about? If there is, what's the tonality of the voice? What's the style? What's the format? You know, it's it's not as simple as two microphones on a table and having a conversation, although that is an entry level. That's precisely what we're doing now. indeed. (laughs) But it's, it's because we have an interest in our subject matter and actually we're not on an agenda Neither of us are sitting here thinking, right, we have to get across X, Y, Z points. This is a conversation of two individuals working in the communications industry who just have an interest in the communications industry and how to do it best. This happens to be a forum and a format to do that. Whereas a lot of brands, when they approach podcasting, you know, my first, my, one of my first questions to a lot of clients is, do you need to produce? It could be that actually being a guest on an existing podcast that already reaches your audience could be the more powerful route to market. So there's a number of things that I think a client should consider before 
committing to production because it is a commitment and you have to have a level of bravery. You know, clients often say, we want to do a test. Well, how can you do a test episode? What level of commitment are you going to make in the test? What's the digital spend support behind? It's not filled with dreams. If you, you know, us, us, you know, doing this interview and having this conversation today and publishing it, it's not a given that anyone's going to find it or listen to it. There needs to be support to drive a listener base and that builds over builds momentum over a period of time. So how do how do companies who are looking to to to, to kind of communicate with core audiences through podcasting look to uh, look to amplify that podcast? What what trends are we seeing? How should they approach it? The 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 trend of those that are successful is they get buy-in from the mar- senior marketing functions in an organisation and recognise how they can cross fertilise the publicity around the series. So it's imperative, from what I'm concerned, you need the commitment from the digital team and the digital uh, media team, social team, CRM. In other words, what other assets, what other channel routes to market do you have access to as an organisation where you can cross-promote your series? The more committed the business is to ensuring there is that drive to maximise visibility, the the better. But again, recognising that if voice-based search is going to be a growing trend with you know Siri and Alexa as, as examples, or even in-car Bluetooth you know, listening, then actually recognising that even making sure you're visible as a podcast through the back-end coding is important. So there, there are many factors involved. The actual production itself is just one part. It's, it's an important part, I grant you, but... The, to ensure its success is about establishing what metrics you're going to have at the outset. Is it sentiment? Is it behavioral shift? Is it call to action? What is the purpose and reason for doing that? And as long as brands spend the right level of time invested at the outset in establishing what they want from the series, then as long as they, they can adhere to that, it can be very successful. I just want to switch focus to, to, to back to your kind of core strengths of broadcast. And, 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 and you guys have been involved in a couple of, a couple of pretty major internet global broadcast moments for, for this region. I mean, uh, you know, f- certainly the Pope's visit was one. Uh, the Rassau Kamer zipline one was another that you've received some, some international recognition for. Just in terms of, I mean, let's, let, how does it work for for you when, say, for example, APCO come to you and say, guys, we want you to, to take on the broadcast aspects, the PR broadcast aspects of the Pope's visit. How do you approach that? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you know, it was, it was thanks to, to APCO and Elizabeth and the trust they have in us. Because in that instance, we know that the, the role of us as an agency is not necessarily can you get us coverage or distribution arm. It's the management of the message and the logistics. So in that particular instance technical expertise of one us demonstrating to to APCO that we understood the need for a very controlled environment for coverage was key working very much alongside and almost we become part of APCO's team on that was crucial to us but APCO you know their trust in us allowed us to put in place the infrastructure so that literally from the moment the, the Pope's plane was landing into Abu Dhabi right the way through to it leaving all images that were delivered globally and sold in globally were on message. That was absolutely crucial. So our role is as a strategic partner through the lens of broadcast, 
rather than just a distribution piece. And you're, pla- you're placing that, so they go, you know, we want it in China, so you, you, you do the kind of planning and the placement for, for the, all yeah, that so film. And yeah, and there are core markets. So our good, the good news is over 25 years, our depth of relationship with global news, news bureaus is that we are trusted by media. So the, ability, the fact that we can speak to Xinhua in China, CGT in China, AP, APTN, PA, you know, Reuters, means that we, we have a relationship with media where we are a trusted source for global broadcast outreach. That we are that hybrid. So in other words, our relationships and we deal with these people very, very regularly means that we can, le- you know, it's classic, it's classic broadcast media relations. It's if you are trusted by the media and you can serve them the format and the content they need. You know, in that particular instance, the, wherever the Pope goes around the world, there is coverage. You know, Vatican TV, you know, has two billion viewers. Yeah. But what was interesting... It's not about amplification no, with no, the Pope. It, it's about messaging. <laughs> and, and, and what could have been quite a toxic moment in time because of some of the issues that were taking place with the you know the catholic church and the vatican the skill of what we did now my pride in what we delivered was the qual score messaging that there was not one item of negative broadcast coverage globally and that was in over 180 countries around the world yeah howard that's great last question what's what is what is dis, going to be disruptive in broadcast over the coming five years future gazing I think I think the the word disruption is an interesting one because everyone looks for it to be a major shake-up, something that really rattles the cage of broadcast. I think what I will observe, I think working as a global network, I, I see the Middle East and the Gulf region recognising the, the Far East getting stronger. So I think the Middle East will up its game. I think in terms of disruption, it's more that I think standards will lift I think quality of talent will have to improve. And I think the Middle East will recognise that it is now competing against the Far East more so. So Expo for me is a huge opportunity for Dubai, certainly in the region, to you know, puff its chest, shoulders back and really show the world what it's got to offer. And I would suspect that media standards in the region will lift. Howard Kosky, CEO of Marketeers, thanks for joining us today. Absolute pleasure, thank you. That's all for this month's episode of The Brief from Mepra. Thank you for listening. Entries are now open for the 2019 Mepra Awards, and you can visit uh, mepra.org forward slash awards for more details on this. If you're not a member yet, there's no better time to join Mepra. Visit mepra.org or email community at mepra.org for more details.